We turn to God's word this evening, first to Psalm 61. And we'll read the eight verses of this psalm, and then afterwards we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and read a few verses from that chapter. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the culvert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. And now in connection with what we read in verse 8 about us daily performing our vows, let's turn to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23, and let's read verses 21, 22, and 23. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. And thus far we read God's word this evening. God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And the text that we consider is the last verse of Psalm 61. And then especially the very latter part of that verse, so will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Beloved congregation, in our Lord Jesus Christ, from the heading of this psalm, we learn that this is a psalm of David. And we don't know the exact circumstances uh, in which David wrote this psalm. We do know that he was in great distress he wrote this psalm so that in verse 1 he cries out unto God and then in verse 2 he feels that he is banished to the ends of the earth and his heart is overwhelmed within him 
And it appears that in David's banishment to the far reaches of the earth that he also may have been physically separated from the tabernacle. So that after praising God in verse 3, he says in verse 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. And for that reason, it might very well be the case that David wrote this psalm while he was experiencing the anguish in body and soul as he was fleeing Jerusalem when his son Absalom was taking over the palace. But David then was away from Jerusalem and he would have been away from the tabernacle. That was a time of distress for David. And so the exact circumstances we don't know, but David is in great distress. And in his distress, he cries out unto God. And that's something that we're familiar with. That doesn't sound strange to us that David would cry out to God in his distress because that's often the time when you and I, when we as God's people cry out unto God, when our way in life becomes difficult, when we must go through that pain and hurt in body, or soul, and when it appears that there's no relief in sight. You've had those times, and so have I. And it's during those times that the child of God, we cry out, God, help me. Hear my cry. Attend to my prayer, and lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Well, the aspect, though, of this psalm that I want to focus on with you tonight has to do with those latter verses, verses 5 and following, and then especially as that leads up to verse 8. Because, you see, this psalm isn't only a psalm about the distress that David is going through, but it's a psalm also about how David is very concerned with the vows that he has made. Because we see in this psalm that David is... A vowing man. So that in verse 5, For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. David has made vows. God, you've heard them. You've answered them. And then in verse 8, I will sing praise to thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. And this tells us that David is very concerned that he not break his vows. Very concerned that even while he is in the midst of his distress, that he be found faithful and that he be a man to his word and carry through with his vows. And even as David is in the midst of his distress, the same is is true of us. Whether it be us going through a time of hardship and difficulty or whether we be going through a time of ease and comfort and joy. But the fact of the matter is that we are a people who take upon ourselves very weighty and solemn vows. There are the vows that parents take at baptism. There are the vows that the bride and groom take when they are married. There are other vows of confession of faith and then even more broadly the vows that all of us as Christians make in the midst of this world as disciples of Jesus Christ and our vow and our calling 
to praise and glorify the God of our salvation. And we'll expand on that in the course of this sermon. The theme, daily performing our vows. Psalm 61, verse 8. Let's note in the first place that these are our solemn vows. Let's note in the second place that they are frequently performed. And finally, that these vows are willingly made on our behalf, daily performing our vows. What does the Bible mean when it speaks of vows? And what does David mean when he says in the text that I may daily perform my vows? And let's understand the difference between a vow on the one hand and an oath on the other hand because every oath is a vow but not every vow is necessarily an oath. There are two words very similar in meaning and yet there's a difference. Let's start with an oath. An oath is when you take God's name upon your lips. An oath is most frequently used in the courtroom so that the judge calls you up to the witness stand and you are required to swear an oath. And that oath consists in you calling upon God's name and using God's name and testifying that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth and by swearing that oath, taking God's name upon your lips, you are also calling upon God to punish you if you swear falsely because God is the only one who knows the truth and can bear witness to it. Really very few instances in, in our lives when we would be called upon to swear an oath. But that's the oath, calling upon God's name that you will use your mouth to tell the truth. A vow, on the other hand, is a very serious and solemn promise. It's a promise that you will do what you say you will do. Now, in a vow, one doesn't normally call upon the name of God explicitly like one does in the oath. And opposed to the oath, a vow would be more common in the life of the child of God. But that's the vow, a very serious and solemn promise that you will do what you say you will do. And vows are good things for God's people to speak. And there are special events in the life of the child of God where Vows are not only proper, but then even very necessary. And let's take a few moments to enumerate those times when vows are good in the life of the child of God. In the, uh, and let's remember before we get to those vows that because the vow is something that's very serious and very solemn, that therefore it ought to be taken only on very serious and solemn occasions. The vow is more common than the oath, but yet we don't go around making vows day by day. 
Our normal conversation is always what Jesus says it should be. Let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, which means we are an honest people. We speak the truth always. But having said that, there are certain occasions where vows are good and proper and necessary. In the first place, marriage vows. When a man and woman stand before each other and stand before God, well, there's something serious and solemn going on. A man and woman becoming one flesh, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And because of the solemnity, vows are taken by the bride and groom. And the exact wording of those vows may change from one marriage ceremony to the other marriage ceremony, but those vows are, are very familiar to us. That the husband says, and I promise to love you and to cherish you and to uphold you and to nourish you. And the, 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 the bride saying that I promise to love you and to submit to you. And both bride and groom, I promise to do this till, till death do us part. We promise. These are our vows. Well, marriage is a very solemn occasion. It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, something that usually only happens once in the life of the child of God. And therefore, it's very fitting that vows be uttered. In the second place, there are confession of faith vows. So that before one is admitted to the table of the Lord, he or she must make confession of faith. And that not only includes going before the consistory, but then to stand in front of the church and to make very solemn vows that the doctrine in this church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation, that I promise that that's my knowledge. I vow by the grace of God to adhere to this doctrine and to lead a new and godly life. I, I promise to submit to church government, and in case I should become delinquent, that I will not ignore the elders, but that I will listen and submit to the discipline of the church. And you young people ought to be thinking about making confession of faith. After all, Jesus gives that command to all believers in due time to eat and to drink. But you understand partaking of the Lord's Supper, that's no small thing. It's fitting, therefore, that vows be made. Marriage vows, confession of faith vows, there are also, in the third place, baptism vows. A major event in the life of the parents, the birth of a child. But not just any child, but the birth of a covenant child. And the sign of the covenant must be administered, and it's good that vows be taken. That parents promise that it's their knowledge that though their little children are sinners by nature and therefore subject to all miseries and yet that they are sanctified in Christ according to God's covenant with them. That parents promise 
that the doctrine in this church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation, the vow that parents will do everything in their power to raise and instruct their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, a vow that all you as parents will expend yourselves for your children so that they are raised properly in the judgments and statutes of Jehovah God. Marriage vows, confession of faith vows, baptism vows. But then in the fourth place, another occasion we might take a vow would be during that time when we are going through great distress. And that's what we read of in the Bible. You think of Hannah, 1 Samuel 1. She was in the midst of great distress. And in her distress, she went unto God and she vowed. 1 Samuel 1, Hannah, whose womb the Lord had closed for a time, that became a very great difficulty, a very great distress for a godly woman living in the Old Testament. And in 1 Samuel 1 verse 11, Hannah, in the, in the bitterness of her soul, prays to God. And in her prayer, she vows. 1 Samuel 1 verse 11, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then, and here's the vow, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And so Hannah made a promise. In the bitterness of her soul, there is only one that she can turn unto. There is only one who can provide comfort, Jehovah God. In the event that God would give her a son, then Hannah would dedicate him to the Lord and for the service of God in the temple. And in the course of time, God opened her womb. God gave her a son. Samuel, and she brought him before Eli the priest in the temple. Hannah vowed unto the Lord, and she was faithful in the performance of her vow. And also here in Psalm 61, David also is in the midst of distress as he makes his vows. These vows had to do with the, with the worship of God, and with God bringing him back to the tabernacle, to the sanctuary, because it appears that David was unable to go to the sanctuary in Jerusalem for a while, and that this weighed heavily upon him. This was a very great burden. This was a, 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 a distressing moment in the life of David. He was not able to go to church. And that's a time of distress for us too, is it not? It ought to be, so that you find yourself unable to go to church on Sunday. And the idea is not that you willingly refrain from coming. That's outright sin. But the idea is that the, the desire is there, 
but that you are prevented for one reason or another because of sickness, because of weather, because of some unforeseen circumstance, and you're unable to come to church. That's a distressing moment. We cry out unto God that he might deliver us and bring us once again into the sanctuary. And so a time of distress. That's when we come unto God and speak our vows. And whatever that time of distress might be in your life or mine, time of distress that we go through as a denomination or as a congregation, a time of distress that we go through in our families. But during those hard and bitter times in life, we fall down on our knees and we pray that God would deliver us from this affliction, if it be his will, and we, we, we vow unto God renewed zeal and that we would serve him anew. Marriage vows, baptism vows, confession of faith vows, uh, vows during a time of distress in our lives, but there is one more occasion for the vow. And really, this is the outstanding vow that's true of all of God's people. Whether we are young or old, whether we are married, single, male, or female, something that's true of all of us who profess to be God's people, there is a, a vow that we have taken. It's the vow that I will render praise and thanksgiving to Jehovah God. That's the vow that you and I have taken. This is the outstanding vow because time and time again, Scripture reveals this to be the content of the vows of God's people. And let me draw your attention to a few other passages in the Psalms that demonstrate this first Psalm 50, verse 14. Psalm 50, verse 14. The word of God states, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And the idea is not that I offer to God thanksgiving over here, and then on the other hand, I... I, I, I pay my vows unto God. No, but when we offer unto God thanksgiving and praise, then we are vowing unto God and we are doing good to our vows. Next, Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 12. Psalm 56, verse 12. Thy vows are upon me, O God. What are those vows? I will render praises unto thee. Psalm 66, verse 13. Psalm 66, verse 13. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings... I will pay thee my vows. So that when we 
praise and worship God, then we are at the very same time paying God our vows. And then all of the other vows that we've spoken about already, baptism vows, marriage vows, confession of faith vows, all of those vows flow out of this main vow that we will render all praise and glory and honor to Jehovah God alone. But now the question becomes, when did you or I ever take that vow? One might say, well, I've taken a lot of vows in my lifetime, but I don't ever remember taking that vow. And the answer is this, that we have taken that vow. We have taken that vow in virtue of our covenant relationship with God. Because God, having chosen us in his counsel, having chosen us in Jesus Christ our head, and now God in time and history gives us the Holy Spirit before we were children of darkness, now we are children of light. God gives us faith so that we are united to our Lord and our Savior so that now we have that true knowledge of God we know who God is with that certain and right now. We know who we are. Desperate sinners in and of ourselves. Destitute of any good. That all we can do is approach God with empty hands, begging to be filled, begging for mercy. But nonetheless, desperate sinners who are saved children of God. And God now draws us near to him in covenant fellowship. He assures us that he is our faithful father, dwelling with us, never to leave us, working all things for our good, assuring us of our election, assuring us that we are children of God, taking care of us, leading us, guiding us, averting all evil, turning it to our good, saving us, giving us Jesus Christ, incorporating us into the body of Jesus Christ, giving us the hope of heaven. What a blessing. What a salvation that you and I do not deserve, but that God has been pleased to give unto us. And so now, so now the child of God cries out after Knowing and experiencing this love of God, the child of God then cries out in Psalm, 30, Psalm 139, I love thee, O God. Psalm 139, verse 14, I will, and here's the vow that you and I take, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So that we as the regenerated children of God, we behold God's creation of all things. We behold God's omniscience, knowing all things. Knowing us in our mother's womb, saving us, delivering us. And we as the children of God are simply overcome with this blessed knowledge. And all we can do is to praise and worship the God of our salvation. That's the vow. We love God. 
that we will praise him. And people of God, I trust that's true of you, that you've experienced that, that burning desire in your heart. Praise God to extol his name, to magnify Jesus Christ. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ himself having regenerated you and now working in your heart to vow unto God all your praise and all your worship. It's the life of sanctification. It's the life whereby we present even our bodies as a living sacrifice of thankfulness unto him. And that's why, that's why David speaks of vows in the plural. Psalm 61, verse 8, that I may daily perform my vows. David, he's, he's not talking about one particular vow or even two particular vows that he may have spoken, but he's speaking of vows that fill his entire life, a lifetime of service and praise to God. And so the Spirit working within us, though we may not say it outwardly, but we vow in all our lives to praise and worship Jehovah God. And that's the vow, a solemn promise that we will do what we say we will do, and that we will worship the God of our salvation. And these vows are frequently performed. And by that, I mean not that we are constantly making new vows day after day. No, not that. But that we are frequently performing the good and godly vows that we have already taken. David says in Psalm 61, verse 8, So I will sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows, daily perform. So that, that means every single day, David is involved in paying his vows. Every day, he is actively engaged in the worship of Jehovah. Every day, striving to lead a new and godly life. Daily perform. What does that mean for us? It means that we do not get a break. We do not get a time out from performing and paying our vows. So that you've taken the vow of marriage. That means every day you are fulfilling your vows, husbands and wives. And even though for you husbands you might be away for a few days on a business trip, even though it might be for you mothers that you are away for a day or two or three visiting family, during those days that you are apart, those marriage vows stand. Those vows do not become void for a while during the time you are apart, but every day. You fulfill your vows of marriage. Husbands being faithful to your wives, wives being faithful to your husbands, that I may daily perform 
my vows. You've taken the vows of baptisms, parent, baptism, husbands and wives, well then every day you fulfill those vows. There is no time out. There is no holiday in your vows to rear your children in the fear of Jehovah God. Yes, it might be the case that you as parents drop your children off at grandpa and grandma's place for a while so that you can enjoy a vacation apart from the kids. That's fine, but your baptism vows stand. And every day you are responsible for the upbringing and the care and the nurture of your children. I may daily perform. You confess yourself to be a child of God. We do. Every day you fulfill your vows. And especially on the Sabbath day when you come and you pay your vow of worship and praise and thanksgiving to Jehovah God. And I trust you see what this means, people of God. It means every moment of every day we are living up to what we promise as we pay our vows to Jehovah God. The text now also instructs us in what manner we are to pay our vows day by day. And there are two things in this regard. And these concepts are in that word translated perform. When Psalm 61 verse 8 states that I may daily perform my vows. And that word perform is a very rich word. And it has two ideas. In the first place, it has the idea of performing our vows intensely. Performing our vows with zeal and vigor. Performing our vows in the manner described in Colossians 3, verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. Heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And that's always a danger that we have to watch out for. The danger is that we would perform our vows half-heartedly that we would perform our vows grudgingly. What does that look like? That looks like this when a person says, there are, there are other things I'd rather be doing. Performing my vows is such a difficult work. It requires so much of my time, but I suppose that's what other people expect of me, and I'll give it a, a good shot. But, but if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably forego all these miserable vows. There's no zeal there. That's lackluster service at best. No liveliness, no enthusiasm there, but performing our vows intensely means that you and I as children of God understand that this is a privilege. This is an honor. To pay my vows unto Jehovah God to worship him, to, to love him, to praise him. I'll put my whole heart into it and I will be faithful in my marriage and I will give myself my time, my energy, the blood, sweat, and tears for the upbringing of the children to be faithful to the vows that I have taken. 
And so that in the first place, performing our vows day by day requires that, that zeal and that energy and that dedication and that motivation and doing our work intensely as unto the Lord. And then in the second place, performing our vows day by day also includes the idea of completion. Seeing our vows all the way to the end. Because after all, what's the use of taking a vow if you don't have any intention of completing it? Of seeing it through all the way to the end? That's something that we readily understand. What's the use of that employee who doesn't want to work a full day's labor? What's the use of that employee who doesn't want to finish the project that he started on? To perform our vows day by day, seeing it through all the way to the end means that all our life long, we are faithful to Jehovah God. We are ceaseless in our labor. We show that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ, not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. And we understand that we are his servants, and that the master is away for a time. But in the meantime, we are called to faithfulness, to diligence, and always in view of that day when the master will come again. And when he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That was David's desire. He wants to make good on his vows so that there can come the day when he says, I've been faithful to my vows. I've completed them. I've been faithful. And that will be the day when God brings David and that God brings us to heavenly glory. But until that time, day in and day out, we perform our vows intensely and we see them through all the way to the end. And finally, tonight, David expresses a willingness to make these vows. He's not afraid to make these vows to Jehovah God. He's not afraid that he's even going to fall short in the performance of these vows. David is willing to make his vows even in light of the, of the clear warning. And now here, remember, remember because of what vows are, solemn promises that we will do what we say we will do, then the breaking of our vows also becomes a very, very serious matter. The breaking of our vows really amounts to a gross violation of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And that's why we read those few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 23. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, the word of God states, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee 
and it would be sin in thee. All right, that tells us a number of things. It tells us that God takes vows very seriously. If you make a vow to God, then you pay that vow. And you do what you promise you say you will do. And if you don't, that's what Deuteronomy 23 verse 21 then means, it would be sin in thee. It would be sin on your part or my part to say, I promise to do something, this is my vow, and then we don't do it. It's sin for parents to say, I promise to be good examples to my children and to raise them to the utmost of my power. And then for mom and dad to be lazy with regard to the spiritual upbringing of their children. It's sin for a bride or groom to say, I, I promise to love you and to cherish you till death do us part. And then when the very slightest sign of turbulence enters the marriage, that they up and leave each other. Sin for the young people in the church who make confession of faith, that he or she believes that the doctrine taught in this church is the true and perfect doctrine of salvation, and then not to come to church. And it would be sin for all of us if we profess to be Christians, but then we do, don't make good on that vow and lead a new and godly life, praising God and worshiping Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. God says, it would be sin in thee if you vow and don't pay that vow. Well, that doesn't mean, and I suppose somebody might argue this way, well, if that's the seriousness of breaking one's vow, well, then I better not make any vows at all. I better not make any vows at all, and, this, and then at least I can't be accused of breaking those vows, and I can't be accused of sin. And to that we say, no, no. That's an overreaction. The proper reaction is this. If paying my vow is a very serious matter, and, or if not paying my vow is a serious matter and sin before God, then I better not make vows rashly. I better not enter into my vows ignorantly. I better not promise to do something if I know full well in my heart that I'm not going to do it or if I'm at least wavering in my heart. And that's the wisdom that Solomon expresses in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay which that, that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. But that means, beloved, that before we take our vows, that we know full well what we're doing. It means that we do not enter into marriage hastily. We don't make confession of faith when there's no real desire in my heart to lead a new and 
godly life. And the point is that vows are a serious matter. We, we don't rush into them hastily because if we fail in them, it would be sin in thee. And yet, isn't it amazing? David knows this. David knows Deuteronomy 23. And yet, David is willing, willing to make these vows, willing because he knows that he will make good on his vows. And David knows this because David knows that God is faithful. That's the confidence of David. The confidence of David in the performance of his vows is not based in himself, but his confidence is based in the faithfulness of Jehovah God. So that in verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter for me, Thou hast been a strong tower from the enemy. That's what David confesses. There were times in David's life when the enemy was pressing round about him and perhaps even that David wondered, will I be able to perform my vows? And then immediately David confesses in verse 5, For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. What does David mean here? What is he getting at? David knows that because of God's faithfulness to him in the past, that that same faithfulness of God will abide with David in the present and in the future. David knows that God will give him the strength and power, therefore, to be faithful in the performance of all of his vows. So David is not hesitant to enter into his godly vows because he knows, and this is important, David knows that the fulfillment of his vows is not dependent upon him, but it's dependent upon the faithfulness of God. And beloved, that's good comfort and cheer for you and for me. Because in and of ourselves, we cannot fulfill our vows. Because we are sinners. And we sin daily. But God is faithful. Faithful and just to forgive our sins. Faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in his faithfulness, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And that spirit strengthens us so that we are faithful to God in the performance of all our vows. And isn't that at bottom what the vow is all about? It's all about faithfulness. God has been faithful to us, given us so many words of promise, and God has been faithful to every single last promise that he has given. And in the power of Jehovah God, we gladly and willingly take upon ourselves these solemn vows. In the power of God, we are faithful in all our promises. Faithful as husbands, faithful as wives, faithful as confessing members, faithful to God in our love 
and our devotion to him. May God grant us continued strength that we may daily perform our vows and that we might sing his praises forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we are thankful for thy word. Apply thy word to our hearts and cause us to rest upon thy faithfulness and then empower us to make vows and to render unto thee all praise and honor and thanksgiving and worship. Thou art worthy to receive it, our God and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.